1: Bridging your
0: Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. A little blast to the past for the 1990s. Maybe you also grew up with Mary-Kate and Ashley, the Olsen twins. It was actually really funny. I had no idea that they had... I knew they had a younger sister, but I didn't know they had a younger sister who was acting, and she's big because she's in, as you know... The Avengers films, and it's so funny because it's a generational gap. My hus—my husband, my brother, kept saying to me how an old, one of the Olsen—an Olsen, gr- Olsen girl—was in the Avengers movie, and I said, "No, they're not." And I kept thinking that he was talking about the Olsen twins. And I said, "Mary Kate and Ashley are not in the Avengers film." He's like, "You idiot!" their names aren't Mary-Kate and Ashley. And we kept going back and forth, back and forth, to which we realized there was a big generational gap in who we were talking about. And I was telling them how Mary-Kate and Ashley are far more popular in their fame. will go down in infamy, infamy. And here we are looking at this and the news came out, the rumor is that Ashley Olsen had a baby. We'll talk about that a little later on. And thank you, Patrick, because I didn't know her name. Her name's Elizabeth Olsen, and she's the younger of the Olsen sisters, not a twin. But I'll talk a little bit about that because I thought it was interesting that supposedly Ashley Olson has not only hidden a pregnancy and hidden the birth of her baby from a couple months ago, but she has a baby boy. Why? What's significant about that? We'll discuss that a little later on as well as diving into our Theology of the Body series. We're in a new section unpacking Jesus' comments during the Sermon on the Mount Joining me today is a unique take on the topic of same-sex attraction. We're going to be talking with Father Paul Sullins, who is a Catholic priest but also a sociologist, a doctoral level sociologist. He was a senior researcher, is the senior researcher at the Ruth Institute, but he spent a number of years as a professor of sociology at the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., and he is on the front line, a leader in the field of research on the topic of same-sex relationships, especially so-called same-sex parenting. So without further ado, Father Paul Sullins, welcome back to Trending.
1: Hello, Tamari. It's so great to be back with you again.
0: Let's talk about same-sex marriage today. It's a topic that some people might say that's settled, it's law, but we still have a conversation from the perspective of faith that there's a reason why the Catholic Church does not uh, give the opportunity for people of the same sex to be married because we have a fundamental idea of what marriage is that is a primordial understanding that has been part of every culture up until really the last less than 10 years now, and I want to unpack this idea of why same-sex marriage isn't the same as a man-woman marriage, male-female. Is there a difference between heterosexual and homosexual marriage in your research as a sociologist?
1: Well, yeah, there are many uh, uh, differences uh, in the nature of the relationships. Uh, but I just I just want to comment it's not just the Catholic Church that won't marry persons of the same sex. it is most churches. Uh, it, it, we think that everyone has accepted same-sex marriage, but most uh, Protestant uh, religious groups uh, still will not uh, solemnize same-sex marriages. Now I say still um, it, in fact um, there's not necessarily a movement toward more of them. I was just reading today that the Church of England, the official church of the British Isles uh, has refused to uh, officiate at same-sex uh, marriages.
0: Interesting, uh, I didn't know that.
1: In in England, persons can be registered partners, and they will bless persons who are registered partners, which is more than the Catholic Church will do. But they will not allow them to be married in the Church of England. So there is something basic uh, about uh, two men or two women. Uh, 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 coming and wanting to be married that is incompatible with not just Catholic teaching, but Holy scripture generally. And uh, it's not hard to understand that what's incompatible is that uh, marriage is built around a um, possibly procreative sexual union between a man and a woman. Um, No uh, persons of the same sex uh, can have such a union. Uh, whatever they do with one another in a sexual way uh, will never produce a child. Uh, and that's the fundamental difference between uh, a, a male-female relationship that can become a marriage and a, a male-male or female-female relationship that can't. I think it makes a lot of sense if we think about it uh, from the children upwards, In other words, we we think about marriage as something that might lead to children. But if you think about the conditions for a child um, and and you build backwards, uh, what you come to is something like uh, heterosexual marriage. Because um, uh, marriage, as we know it, orients uh, men and women's desire for one another to the possibility of children. A man and a woman may not be focused on children when they're uh, attracted to one another, but marriage takes that attraction and elevates it uh, to something that thinks about the children. It's just the opposite with same-sex marriages. In same-sex marriage, it orients the possibility of children to adult desire. In other words, they don't have to have children. They can't accidentally have children So they have to want to have those children. And so the children are a a product of um, uh, uh, something that uh, those persons want that's not intrinsic, you might say, to the relationship. So what is it that benefits children? Uh, Well, human children uh, benefit a lot if their parents stay together until they become adults. Uh, And so in every Mm. culture that has marriage uh, that we would recognize, marriage is a very long relationship, usually lifelong Mm -hmm. uh, and a relationship that um, is stable for uh, the growing up period of that child's life. Another thing that benefits children in every kind of marriage, every kind of culture is sexual exclusivity or what Mm -hmm. we would Mm -hmm. call faithfulness. Uh, If the mother and father are faithful to one another, it actually increases the child's chance of survival. Uh, It improves the health of that relationship. Uh, And so those are the um, um, marks or the requirements of of a Catholic marriage, sexual exclusivity or faithfulness and lifelong permanence. There's one other uh, aspect of marriage that benefits children a lot that's not usually mentioned uh, in Catholic teaching, and that is that it's a public identification of public status um, in Catholic in the Catholic world it means that it's a sacrament and sacrament uh, that is uh, public and, and announced to other people uh, and that benefits children by uh, ensuring their connection to their father mm. if you've ever thought about it Interesting. Um, the 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 mother of a child is sure that that's her child the father is not sure is never sure that that's her child unless somebody Uh, assures him of that. And so marriage uh, publicly assures both the child and the father that they are connected to one another.
0: Giving a sense of responsibility, ownership, connection, getting to know yourself. I think it's so significant when you're answering the question, why is there a difference and what is the difference between hetero and homosexual, quote, marriage? It's fundamental understanding that potential for new life, being able to literally generate and create new life that permanence that sexual exclusivity the unit of dimension and i love that you mentioned the public status because of the responsibility Mm -hmm. of the couple including the father to the responsibility of the child this is a topic that i think is very sensitive today a lot of people say well this is settled it's settled through the supreme court it's not settled, and I think that we are facing in the coming months and years the overturning of Obergefell versus Hodges that made same-sex marriage a law of the land. And when that happens, the majority of states across this nation actually had whether it be. A constitutional amendment or some sort of legislation put into place in their state that would be a trigger law making it immediately so that marriage is yet again between one man and one woman, much like overturning of Roe versus Wade and how we're battling over this topic of abortion from state to state. With radically different laws. And so the question is going to continue to be relevant. It's relevant because we've seen Catholic charities having to shut down without being able to uphold marriage between a man and a woman as the norm and the preference for the placement of babies in the case of adoptions, which brings me to this topic. Why is marriage meant for babies? I know you mentioned the significance of sexual exclusivity of the parents being healthier for the child you mentioned public status helping to ensure the connection of the father to the baby and so on but what else is beneficial in that commitment of marriage that helps to provide something fundamental and might you even argue a right to a child both in infancy and through his or her upbringing
1: yeah uh, the catholic church holds that uh, a child um not only should have two parents uh, of opposite sex, but that a child has a right to be brought up by the two persons who jointly brought that child into the world, uh, their own biological mother and father. Uh, And that's what really brings the great benefit for a child. Uh, It is the most respective of that child's dignity. So the church says, and I'm quoting, that every child has the fundamental right to be the fruit of the specific act of the conjugal love of his parents. So what that does to uh, those parents is that it turns that conjugal act into something that has a valence beyond themselves. It reaches beyond just the, the focus of their relationship. Uh, into the future uh, to extend their love to another human being, another individual that will very likely outlive them and that will have to engage a future that they, they can help them start but, not, but will reach beyond them. Uh, and so the family is a place of uh, what I call intergenerational solidarity. Uh, it, it socializes and extends the love of a man and a woman which can be just an erotic attraction, but it takes that erotic attraction and it elevates that. It, it extends that to be, become something that actually creates a whole new world and a whole new society.
0: Joining me today on Trending is Father Paul Solens. He is both a Catholic priest and a sociologist at the doctoral level. He's taught at the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., and he is on the front line with regard to research in sociology on the issue of same-sex relationships and same-sex parenting, talk to me, Father, about the topic of understanding, because I think this is the argument that, th- that is thrown back at us. If we, as people of faith, and even every culture up until the last 10 years, less than that, have upheld that marriage fundamentally has to do with children, procreation, Well, what's the difference if two men who are, quote, married, again, not acknowledged by the Catholic Church, but if two men are, quote, married, adopt a kid, why can't that be a marriage as well?
1: The difference is that every child is with two men that uh, call themselves that child's parents um, is being excluded from the care of his mother. Um, every child has a mother and a father. Um, that's a, a logical, biological reality. Um, and so if you have a child that's with uh, a father and a father, or two men that claim to be the parents of that child, somewhere there is a mother that is not available to that child. The child doesn't have the care uh, of their mother. I think the last time we talked, you talked about a a, a you know, a gay couple that had a child, and
0: yes, and uh, for the
1: first year, that child didn't want to have anything to do with those men. And then when they went to visit a a woman, I think as one of their mothers or something, they they, they snuggled yep. up to him. Yeah, yes. And that's just a natural expression uh, of mm. the of the importance, the benefit mm. of marriage as God has created us. And so every every young person, every child born wants to have a mother and a father. There's a lot of research that confirms this and the fact that having a mother and a father adds unique and valuable things to the care of a child and the upbringing of a child. Mm. There's a lot of research that supports the fact that a child's own mother, their own biological mother, has benefits to care for that child that that another woman doesn't necessarily have.
0: Mm. And isn't it incredible to understand that complementarity that when there are two men raising a child in the instance of, quote, same-sex marriage, it's not a marriage because you're not fulfilling a fundamental human biological right of a mother and a father. You can't make a baby without the complementarity of the male and female element in a child is created to have that complementarity in terms of the nurturing from the mother, the way the father helps in the brain development of the child with the rough and tumble act of play. We actually talked about Mm same-sex parenting and some of the concerns sociologically about it last time you were here on Trending. So if you're interested Mm -hmm. in learning more on that topic, we'll post a link in the episode notes as well as on social media. Again, Father Paul Soland is from the Ruth Institute, and he is on the front line with regard to research from the perspective of sociology and as a Catholic priest on same-sex relationships and parenting. And something that stands out to me as well that I think we don't talk enough about within the dynamic of marriage and children and what marriage is is that when we understand marriage is for the sake of procreation and only within the context of men and women, that upheld some upholds and protects the position of the woman in society, within the family, and it makes sure that a woman is cared for. And I know this isn't the feminist narrative that people like to talk about today with strong, independent women, but it's a culture of respect and honor and actually putting women in a higher position. And I love, actually, your uh, colleague at the Ruth Institute, Dr. Jennifer Roback, Morse's book, Love and Economics, because she talks about how you need the father to care for the mother so that the mother can care for the child. And she presents this from a very fundamental economic perspective that I really do think addresses this crisis of what is marriage and why is it that two men or just two women can't be a marriage, even if there are adopted children or children that come into that relationship.
1: Yes, that that's all very true. What, what benefits A child most from their mother and their father is that they love each other. The child is is kind of warmed by the glow of their love. And what really expresses that love the most is the difference between the mother and the father. Uh, And economists uh, have uh, 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 explored this and expressed this uh, very fundamentally, not just uh, faith-oriented economists, but have uh, shown that the differentiation of roles in a marriage is what makes that marriage strong and is what benefits the children. So in a differentiation of roles, you don't have a woman who's trying to be like a man and you don't have a man that's trying to be like a woman, but you have each of them that are playing to or living into the ways that they are different from one another. The, the, uh, I don't have. I think it's a great thing to have strong, independent woman. Now, you know, I'm a married priest. I don't want to freak anybody out, but my wife is definitely a strong, independent woman. No, no question. But she's also very traditional about her role and her place in the family. The problem with feminism is that it it tells women that the only way they can be strong and independent and powerful is to become more like a man. Uh, and you have two persons who are trying to be kind of like a man in a relationship, and it, it weakens that relationship.
0: Mm. And I just want to give a caveat. For someone who might be shocked, how can you have a married priest? Can you briefly comment on the connection to the ordinary and why there is an exception in your case?
1: Yeah, I, I thought that might that might spark <laughs> that. I, uh, uh, so in uh, uh, 1980, Pope John Paul II and uh, 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 Cardinal Ratzinger uh, uh, put forth a plan to welcome Episcopalian priests into the Catholic Church, even if they were already married. And so I'm one of those. Uh, I came in through a program called the Pastoral Provision, not the ordinary. Um, And um, there are not many of us. There's a, a couple hundred at most uh, nationwide. Um, and uh, we are all former Episcopalians who uh, 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 converted to the Catholic faith. Um, and um, committed matrimony at some point, and the church kind of forgives us for that and accepts us uh, as we are.
0: It's a great gift to see that conversion from the Episcopal faith to the Catholic faith and being able to carry Mm -hmm. on that gift of holy orders in the way that is approved and brought into the church. And not everyone who is an Episcopalian or was some sort of presbyter is allowed to do that. It's a unique story. It's a whole other topic in and of itself. But you are one of the few, again, and your perspective is keen. Coming from a priest, someone who's also been married, and a doctoral sociologist on this topic of same-sex parenting, parenting, and marriage. We'll be right back with Father Paul Sullins. You can find him and his research at the Ruth Institute. We're actually linking to some key just documents and folders on research on the topic of same-sex marriage and same-sex parenting. Understanding this both from a Catholic as well as a sociological perspective because the two go hand in hand. We're going to come back talking. About about therapy and support for Catholics who are same-sex attracted but don't want to live a gay or queer lifestyle. We'll be right back here on Trending. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timmery on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Father Paul Solens is a leading researcher in the field of same-sex relationships, same-sex parenting in particular. He works with the Ruth Institute. You can find him and his research at ruthinstitute.org. That's ruthinstitute.org. I'll post a link. In the episode notes for today's show along with on social media just follow me at timmeri t-i-m-m-e-r-i-e if you'd like to check that out father paul Solens isn't only a catholic priest but also a sociologist at the doctoral level and we're talking today about the topic of same-sex attraction we were discussing same-sex quote marriage and parenting earlier so be sure to listen to this full episode relevantradio.com forward slash trending or wherever you catch your podcast but i'm asking you Word of mouth matters, but also recommending podcasts recommending topics, saying, hey, I know we disagree on this topic, but what do you think about this conversation? It's a great way to continue to move the ball forward, maybe in a conversation you're having with someone who disagrees with you, or maybe you just like to poke the bear and see how people respond to different ideologies. I welcome those conversations. So I hope you'll text a link to this episode or another episode you've enjoyed to a friend, family member, or colleague. Today, what I want to talk about is therapy and support for Catholics who experience same-sex attraction but don't want to live a gay, queer lifestyle. There are a lot of people who are in this place. And I'm always astonished by some people in the Catholic Church, sometimes leaders who aren't following what the Catholic Church teaches, when they approve of same-sex relationships, same-sex lifestyles. And there's a difference between approving of a person and a lifestyle, a same-sex relationship. I remember when I was dating my husband, we dated for way longer than I ever hoped or wanted to, about seven years. And during that time, I remember I was talking to a priest who was saying it was okay, though, if this couple he knew who were same-sex attracted, you know, explored that relationship. And I looked at him and said, excuse me, Father, but I've been dating my boyfriend for seven years now. And if what you say is true, then I can just start sleeping with him now. It doesn't matter. I don't have to be married. And right away, father started fumbling, at which point I said, well, no, this is actually a big deal because for some reason, the moment someone says they experience any adverse lifestyle or attraction, especially same-sex attraction, suddenly sometimes even people within the church don't follow what the church teaches, upholding that responsibility to virtue, chastity, integrity, holiness. And so what I want to talk about is what about people who experience same-sex attraction, many of whom actually don't desire that attraction and want to do something about it, yet for some reason the world says you do you, you explore that, you enjoy that, and see how it goes. What's the other path? Joining me to discuss that now is Father Paul Sullins. He is, again, a leading researcher at the Ruth Institute, a professor of sociology for many years. Father Paul, talk to me about this because I really have a hard time with this indulgence, even within the church of exploring homosexuality and homosexual relationships, yet everyone else who's heterosexual should be living chaste relationships.
1: Right. It's, it's kind of like they get a special pass. Uh, it's somehow not morally responsible if you have same-sex uh, attraction, if, that, if that's what I hear you describing. Well, I think the first thing that needs to be said is that experiencing sexual attraction to someone of the same sex is not a sin. Uh, it's uh, it, it's the attraction that you have. And that's where we have to start. If, if uh, I'm such a person that has that attraction, where it becomes a sin is if I act on that. It's the same or very similar, at least, to a man that experiences a heterosexual attraction to a woman to whom he's not married, uh, as you just said, and they go ahead and, uh, explore that relationship sexually, then it becomes sinful. It's not sinful to desire. Uh, it's dangerous, though, because you're being attracted to something that can become sinful. And that's why the church calls this uh, an intrinsic disorder. Uh, so if I'm attracted to persons of the same sex, it's not a desire that can ever be fulfilled morally or licitly, you might say. So, um, uh, it's something that has to be dealt with uh, out of a relationship with Jesus Christ that calls me to wholeness. Uh, now, often we would describe that in terms of chastity, uh, and that's certainly the, the, the um, uh, root idea uh, for someone who experiences such an attraction. Uh, another thing that should be said, however, is that um, – most people who ever experience a same-sex attraction uh, at some point in the future uh, desist from those attractions uh, and experience attraction to persons of the opposite sex Uh, and i'm not saying this as a as a catholic priest i'm saying this as a sociologist that we have uh, a number of good large-scale population studies that ask people at two points in time about their sexual attractions. Uh, And those studies find that um, on the second assessment, usually five to 10 years after the first one, uh, about half of those who reported they were had same-sex attraction at the first assessment report that they have heterosexual attractions.
0: Wow, that's Um, incredible. That
1: is incredible.
0: And I have friends who have lived this out, actually Mm -hmm. multiple friends who have experienced same-sex attraction, strong same-sex attraction, who have even been in same-sex attractive relationships. Yet, you know, we talk about how fluidity you can swing toward homosexuality and, quote, queerness, but for some reason people don't like it. If you can swing back to the biological Mm complementarity, yeah, I know many people who experience this, and some people just don't want to talk about it publicly as well.
1: Of course not. It's a very personal thing. But if you look at the population data, uh, the good news that is almost never shared is that there are more people who have felt and then left of uh, same-sex attractions uh, than there are that persist in it. So we talk about the gay community, or the about two percent of the population that identify as uh, LGBT in some fashion. Um, the the uh, proportion of the population who have experienced same-sex attraction and have desisted from it is larger than that. There are more people who have left than persons who remain in uh, sort of, we might call the LGBT or the gay lifestyle. Father, Um, that's
0: incredible. I've actually not heard those studies before i would love if you can share those with me because i know people listening are going to say wait share that i want to be able to pass that along i just want to reiterate what you said so you're saying mm-hmm. that there are more people who have left same-sex lifestyles gay identity queerness whatever you want to right. call it and then those people who actually identify as same-sex attracted today
1: right the first study i would point you to is by rosky and diamond that's r-o-s-k-y the second author is diamond 2016 it's called scrutinizing immutability uh, and what this study does is to collect together the findings of a number of these population studies and because of the the transience or the mutability of same-sex attraction they argue that uh, gay advocates should not try to argue that LGBT people form a special uh, protected class because they don't form a class at all. The class dissipates over time. Now, this is uh, right in line with what the church has taught all along. You know that the um, magisterial teaching uh, does not refer to sexual orientation. Instead, it uses the word sexual inclination. Uh, And that's because it recognizes that many persons experience a transient or fleeting form of sexual attractions to persons of the same sex and then desist from that. Uh, Now, uh, I can point you into the other studies and I'll send them to you, Timory, but I I was just looking um, at data on the British population this morning working on a study on this topic because there aren't aren't enough of them out there. And in the British population, uh, there are not only persons who have desisted from same-sex Attraction, but also persons who identify as heterosexual uh, and uh, did more than just experiment. Uh, they lived for a time as it, in in uh, homosexual relationships, uh, but they've left them. And there are more of the, those than there are homosexual persons in the British population. Uh, so, uh, so this is part of the truth mm-hmm. that's out there that doesn't get reported too much because it goes against kind of the the uh, prevailing secular cultural view of the day. And uh, you know this a cat- as a, go ahead. No, you you go ahead.
0: Well, you know this as a priest, father, that there are many people who experience things that they don't want, unwanted desires. We can name any number of things, whether we cross into sexual issues surrounding pornography. uh, Maybe it has to do with other types of addiction surrounding things such as gambling, shopping. A lot of people don't want those disordered desires or inclinations we talk about that they experience. And what's so fundamental is that there's access to therapy and faith-based resources to give a person the freedom to make choices in the face of the tendencies, the bad habits, the sinful inclinations and desires that they may have. Yet today we're seeing across the nation the shutting down of basic therapy resources for people who want to question their sexual proclivities.
1: Right. And the reason that those are opposed is the same reason that you haven't heard about the, uh, the transients of homosexual attractions. And that is it, it challenges the idea that someone is born heterosexual and that th- that's an immutable part of their identity. How many times have you read something in the media and they say, well, th- that's the way the person was born. They're born that way, it's, that's who they are. Uh, it's a fundamental part of their identity. And so it shouldn't be challenged and shouldn't be changed. That's, that's behind part of the thinking of that priest uh, who was uh, you know, thinking a different way about persons who had um, same-sex attractions. I, I'm not saying that was right, but, but that's the way uh, people think. Uh, in fact, um, that whole idea has been thoroughly disproven uh, by the best genetic science that we know, not only by twin studies, uh, but also by mm-hmm. genome-wide association studies that look directly at the human genome and find that There is no genetic marker and there's no gene that uh, compels anyone to be uh, uh, same-sex, to identify as same-sex or to be homosexual in in any way. Um, Not to say that there isn't some genetic association or influence, but it's small. Mm -hmm. Um, So... um, but
0: still there's freedom Um, and I think that's significant so that born gay theory has been disproven by secular science Yet, even if you wanted to try and claim there was some sort of genetic pull it's maybe the same way there might be a little bit of an influence that someone could become an alcoholic and I think what we look at fundamentally as Catholics is that we know in our human anthropology the reality of free will and our role to decide in the face of whatever temptation or proclivity we may have
1: that's right uh anyone uh, does that now when people are catholic and they feel same-sex attractions and they don't want to live it as an lgbt person exploring sort of a a, um uh, morally improper relationship uh there are several ways that they can um approach that i want to recommend a book it's because i know we won't be able to talk to all of them but there's a book uh, by a uh, Catholic man, Daniel Mattson, M-A-T-T-S-O-N. Yes. It's called Why Why I Don't Why I Don't Call Myself Gay, um, and so he he went through um, a lot of the the struggles uh, uh, around this. You yeah. don't necessarily need to go to therapy. In fact, most people who deal with this don't don't go to therapy, uh, but they make use of the means of sanctification that the church offers. And so the first of those would be reading the scriptures, uh, immersing yourself in the truth of God's word, uh, and then uh, uh, participation in the sacraments so that you strengthen yourself internally in those. Um, uh, Good friendships with uh, friends that are gonna build you up and uh, lead you to virtue and holiness. then there's a lot of wisdom in the tradition of the church and the writings of the fathers of the church uh, that pertain to this, and um, Matson goes in has several chapters on. This the things that helped him in his journey on that. Mm -hmm.
0: It's a fantastic Um, book. I highly recommend it. And I'll just briefly mention some of the connections he makes in his story are things such as his mother always desiring to have a little girl and dressing him up as a little girl at a young age, some sexually abusive encounters he had with another child, child on child, which is the most predominant form of sexual abuse today. Uh, And there are a number, I think, of issues that can influence sexuality today. And I think it's important that his story. Is powerful. Father Paul, I want to thank you for highlighting that book and for the research you are doing on the front end. Any closing thoughts and where can people dive more into this topic with your research? Because you're on the cutting edge right now in terms of the sociology and connecting it to our faith.
1: Sure. I, I do want to mention if people do want to go to therapy, a good place to look is reintegrative therapy.
0: Yes. Uh, it's, yep.
1: a, it's a Catholic-oriented therapy uh, for Persons who experience same-sex attractions is not just for that or necessarily focused on that, but it's very helpful uh, for such persons. Um, And that
0: can be found at reintegrativetherapy.com. We have guests on who actually practice that form of therapy. So we'll post a link online to that, reintegrativetherapy.com. Thank you for mentioning that.
1: And uh, you can learn more about my research at the Ruth Institute, which has a couple of resource pages uh, on what I do. Uh, I also don't mind if you want to email me to get more information. Uh, You can email my Catholic University email address, which is my last name, S-U-L-L-I-N-S at C-U-A dot E-D-U. Uh, And if you have any questions or want any resources, studies, information, I would be happy to provide that for you
0: fabulous we'll include your email in the podcast link resources because i know people are looking for that information they want to dive deeper they want to be able to have that conversation with people who are trying to just shout them down claiming medical misinformation or whatever it is i just got banned on youtube for medical misinformation on topics surrounding similar issues such as these and so we need to be able to cite those studies so that we can say hey no what the church teaches and what sociology and psychology, and science is saying, it all jives together. It's just a matter of whether or not that information is being hidden from sight and people are trying to lie and fact it, check it today. So, that's from Father Paul Solins here on Trending. Check out his work at ruthinstitute.org. That's ruthinstitute.org. I'll be right back here on Trending to talk about Ashley Olsen. Supposedly the rumor is she gave birth to her first baby. The Olsen twins are added again. Just one of them. We'll be right back to talk about that and dive into our Theology of the Body series. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timmery on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. A blast to the past because they don't make very often a sighting today and that is Mary-Kate and Olson, Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen. The Olsen twins. I keep telling my sister I need to educate her on her Mary-Kate and Ashley movies because that was just a part of the childhood. Those was fun films that they made and here's the news one of the Olsen twins rumor has it gave birth to her first child a couple months ago earlier in the summer so TMZ exclusive broke last week that mega childhood star and now fashionista designer Ashley Olsen not only secretly got married last year which is the news that had come out earlier this year but now Close sources supposedly, according to TMZ and some of the other Hollywood reporters, claim that close resources to the couple have now shared that Ashley Olsen has given birth to her first baby supposedly the baby's a boy and the baby's name is otto so it sounds like this is real news not fake news but it is interesting because the inside source that's giving this news to the press said that ashley olsen who by the way is married to Louis eisner has wanted to follow a little bit more of a traditional path and commented that ashley olsen actually likes more traditional things such as being married before having a baby. I thought that was really interesting because it's a making headlines in the news with regard to the news that not only did Ashley Olsen hide her pregnancy but hide her birth and hide her baby for a couple of months and media is very excited but also being deprived of those baby photos that everyone probably wants to see along with the baby bump photos that everyone missed. This brings up the topic in my mind of privacy and discretion. The Olsen twins have commented in the past that they were actually raised to be discreet and they've at times done a pretty good job of keeping much of their lives rather private even though they've been in the spotlight since they were literally babies all the way back to full house in the good old full full house days. I love that show. Here's my takeaway on it because I do think it is something to think about. A lot of people who have been in the spotlight for years, some of whom, like the Olsen twins since childhood, have been choosing to step out of the light. People even such as Selena Gomez, who said social media, everything was seriously impacting her mental health, among other things, and she's happier not being on social media. She's happier living a little bit more of an ordinary life rather than the spotlight of being an influencer. Yet, That is what every young person wants today, to be an influencer. My siblings joke and say, oh yeah, my sister's an influencer. She has like some radio show or something, to which my mom always comes in in my defense. It's not just some radio show. She talks about how awesome relevant radio is and the massive impact we have. We're literally one of the largest radio networks in the nation. And so when I got banned on YouTube this summer, there's a reason. They're trying to silence us, but this is why... We owe in the station we do to continue to do work the work we are across the nation, from Hawaii to Maine. As Father Rocky always said, it's so important. But why is this important? Bringing it back to Mary Kate and Ashley Olson. It's great to have an impact, it's great to be an influencer. These are, can be good things with good messages, but look at what people such as Ashley Olson and others are doing. They're getting off of social media, they're hiding from the press that they've gotten married, that they were pregnant, that they've had children. I think this presents some areas for us to ponder in modesty, in temperance, in prudence, these virtues that are so fundamental that we as people of faith should be exercising. Modesty in speech, being careful of what we reveal, not to reveal too much or to too many people or the wrong people, or even revealing so much that it might upset or disturb others. Temperance, that virtue of temperance. That desire to know can sometimes be a bad thing. The desire to even have others know about our lives can be bad for us. Prudence. To be prudent in sharing, for example, as parents today, the lives of our children on social media for the sake of their privacy but also for the sake of being in the spotlight for their mental health i I, i'm tired of those words mental health but it is significant that we're not damaging the psyche of children by putting them in the spotlight from a young age and looking at how wonderful they are for the world to just constantly admire kids are great they're wonderful they're gifts from god but we do damage the psychological development of children when we treat them as if they are the best thing that was ever given to the world and that everyone else should think so and that they can do no wrong or think that nothing's wrong so if the news is true that ashley Olson has had a baby and the baby's a boy and named otto congratulations let's pray for this new family as they celebrate in privacy as they're choosing the life of their child but let's take a little note from that book to exercise virtue in the way we use social media and just public the public sphere today to share about our lives why question why we may or may not want to share something about our lives be temperate and what other people know and prudent especially in how we share the lives of our children. I know this is something I'm thinking a lot about and trying to figure out how to navigate as well because I want to celebrate babies. I want to see cute pictures of babies, but not everyone sees that the same way, and it's not always good to expose children online in that way. You're listening to Trending with Timur here on Relevant Radio. Let's talk about Theology of the Body. So, Theology of the Body, I'm excited to finally be in the next section of Theology of the Body where we start to unpack The Sermon on the Mount. So, Pope St. John Paul II started with Jesus' words appealing back to the beginning and the question in Mark 10 and Matthew 19 about divorce. Now, Pope St. John Paul II chooses to focus in on the Sermon on the Mount, specifically where Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to desire her in a reductive way, Pope St. John Paul II added that, whoever looks at a woman to desire her in a reductive way has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What Pope St. John Paul II is doing right off the bat is a pointing to the difference between experience versus desire. We'll unpack this more, especially shame in connection to men and women. And how shame, as we've already discussed in that original state in the garden, prior to the fall of Adam and Eve, wasn't something that Adam and Eve ever felt. It wasn't a part of that original state of man and woman in the garden. Pope St. John Paul II looks at sexual desire and pleasure as good things. However, they can be used in negative and reducing ways. The person to be looked at in terms of pleasure alone rather than a full encounter with a person is wrong. So again, what we do with our thoughts, how we approach the great gift of something such as pleasure needs to be addressed and this is fundamental to this part of the series in Theology of the Body. And just to think about, marriage helps to purify and balance the way we take responsibility for others, the desire for pleasure but also the gift of the whole person, the sacrificial dimension of serving another. Pope St. John Paul II says that this part of the Sermon on the Mount is of key significance for the theology of the body and the understanding of our human anthropology. A simple word or sentence, he says, can be profound in the work of Jesus. (laughs) Can be profound, are profound. Just this word is what he's saying. Just a sentence. Look at how much we've already unpacked in just those words of Jesus in appealing to the beginning, the dawn of creation in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Now, let's put a little bit of context in these Bible passages in the Sermon on the Mount to set us up for how we will unpack Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, in the days and weeks to come. Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount said before this statement, and I'll say it again. So, the statement we'll be unpacking is, You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Just before this, Jesus had said, do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets, I've not come to abolish, but to fulfill. He goes on to say, whoever carries out these commandments and teaches them will be considered great in the kingdom of heaven. Then Jesus says this in Matthew chapter five, verse 20, unless your justice surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what Jesus is talking about, what he's building up in this great long covenant that not only shall you not commit adultery with a woman, you shouldn't even lust after a woman. What Jesus is talking about is integrity. Knowing the truth of the commandment goes much further than surface level and what people see and hear and think. It's about you and I living with such a great level of integrity and virtue that it's transformative in the sense of our holiness and our union with God. Jesus is telling us to know the truth, to live the truth, and then to teach it, and that includes fundamental ideas such as what the Catholic Church teaches with regard to how we are responsible for the sin of scandalizing other people, or what actually other people might perceive in what we do. This is why we're called to corporal works of mercy, to instruct the ignorant, to admonish the sinner. All of this starts though with first knowing the truth and living it out so that we can teach and spread the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Again, in this setup, we read that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, unless your justice surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. This situates the key text to Pope St. John Paul II's theology of the body, and that is Jesus' words. And that call to have a sense of responsibility for our desires and what we do with our desires. That accountability for our thoughts and actions are necessary. It will be fascinating to unpack this from the perspective of shame because again, shame wasn't present for Adam and Eve prior to the fall. It's something that entered in when we started to have that ability to take advantage of another and for them to take advantage of us. Pope St. John Paul II says that this is at the heart, the inner form and the soul of theology of the body. And I leave you with those words of Jesus to ponder as we will continue to unpack. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. How can we have a greater level of integrity in our thoughts, words, and actions? This is what we'll be unpacking in this next part of our Theology of the Body series. Listen to all the podcasts at RelevantRadio.com or on our app. We hear about transgender, but what about being transracial and those people who are detransitioning? This is Tim Ray from Trending with Tim Ray. Friday, my guest is Ollie London. He identified as a Korean woman and had over 20 plastic surgeries to make this transition seem appealing or normal to him. He actually turned to Christianity and is leaning toward Catholicism. Join me Friday at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app to hear his story.